Mike Michalowicz here, and I am so thrilled that Get Different has been a tremendous success. I am humbled and honored all at once, and it's because of the go-getters. So I encourage you to check them out and see if their businesses may be able to serve you. A huge thank you goes to Stephanie Scheller of growdisrupt.com, Ashley Berghoff of asquaredonline.com, Lisa Young of lisarobinyoung.com, that's with two Bs for Robin, Andrea Balour of studiolinear.com, Eric Olmsted of onlinesupport.com, it's on-line-support.com, and finally, Michael Bazinski of buzzbiz.biz. Thank you, go-getters. Thank you for your tremendous support. The null hypothesis in any research question has to be what we would call the steps quo and whatever is the common elite. And then the burden of proof rests on you disproving that the status quo is wrong or that you have to prove that the status quo is wrong. Yeah, I gotcha. You're not proving what you want to prove is right. You have to prove what everyone else believes to be true is wrong. Nice. Wow, you type quickly, Aim. I do. I think I'm... Where did you learn to type? In in, in your high school. With Me you. too. Yes. Yeah. It was in that good class. class. Yeah. With the old-fashioned typewriters. Click, 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 click. Sing. Click, click, click. Kelser Sloan, did you all have typing classes? I had Mavis Beacon in middle school. You had what? Mavis Beacon. Mavis Beacon. It was like a computer program that was mm. just typing. Oh, I thought that was the name of the teacher. I was like, she's oh. good. She knows her teacher. <laughs> I had Mavis Beacon, the master <laughs> teacher. I mean, his name was Mr. O'Tor, was the teacher. And it was like a computer class in general, but typing was part of it. Do you we guys did. call it keyboarding or did you call it typing? Typing. What about you, Sean? Mario te- typing. Mario teaches typing. That was like nice. Yeah. I think my kids had Mario teaches typing too. Yeah. yeah. We just had someone yelling like <laughs> Mrs. Katai. Katai. Mrs. Katai, no. yeah. Hit, something like that. Pinky hits the Z. Yeah. Pinky hits the Z. Like look up. <laughs> no looking down. No looking, no looking down. down. And you had to hit it because we this was before electricity was invented. You gotta go, do that. And get that strike. Invented. Oi. Like how many words a minute can you type? 60. Yeah. Probably, I don't know. We should, we should do a typing. We, we could ruin one of our retreats by us having. I'm so nervous. Typing. Anytime it's a, I yeah. have no idea how much I could type. Do I remember 40 or 60 being like a good number of words per minute? I could do a thousand words in an hour. I know that because that's my pace, hmm. but that means 60. 20, I don't know. I don't know how many that pulls out there. Per minute. Can, so yeah. It's like, Th- over 300 words every 20 minutes or so. Well, you take that, 60 uh, divided to a thousand. I got, I got to pull out the calculus. I'll see a thousand <laughs> words an hour by, by 60 minutes, 16 words a minute. No, 16 times 60. Yeah. The average typing speed is around 40 words per minute. Yeah. I think I'm around, I'm around that's, 40 that's, to 45. Yeah. But you got to do the when you, Yeah. When I do a thousand words an hour. That's like original content writing. Yeah, so you're, yeah, you're like, typing. I mean, it's not just straight typing. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Oh, no, I'm talking like transcription. Like if I'm looking at another. Who document, transcribes nowadays? I do sometimes. Or what? I don't know. Sometimes I have to transcribe things. What is your husband like, Amy, send a letter. Here's what yes. we're going to do. 
I do. No, it's like I- the podcast. <laughs> the garbage man is not delivering or not picking up our garbage on time. Mike's boxers. I'm transcribing. I'm transcribing Mike's boxers. <laughs> yeah. That's I it. want the That's- garbage picked up at 830, not 835, Amy. <laughs> yes, yes. So 830 it is. transcribing. Yeah. Yeah, I like how he blames Christopher and not yeah. him. Yeah. Like that wouldn't be the logical <laughs> person. My vo- what would you have to transcribe? In my boxers. Ooh. Oh my God. Those ones that go on for like 15 minutes. I'm like, oi vey, is he going to finish <laughs> <Because already?" I laughs> When you get the cliff bars, I like the brown chocolate ones, not the peanut ones. I do like the chocolate chip. I do like the chocolate chip. I know you like the chocolate chip. I just bought them and I have to restock already. Good. I boxed golly. Amy at like nine o'clock at night on a Thursday night. This is like last week. Boom on it. I just want everyone to know that. Boom. Thank you, Response. Thank you. Because that thing goes off and everybody picks up their phone and juggles them in the air. And the whole house. Like, what, what's like happening? I, my whole family looks around. Like, what happened? What does he need? What's wrong? The whole house responds. Whole you see that? House. Yeah. Like you you boxed me before at like 4.45 in the morning. I wake up sweating, <laughs> like freaking out, like something is seriously what wrong. Happened? And, and the Vox is just like, uh, hey, J-Bone, I was just thinking, um, <laughs> I just saw this. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to put on your radar. Just thinking about put it. Put on your radar. Yeah. Oh, hope you're sleeping well. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm laying in bed. <laughs> yeah. I hey, serious question up. though. How come you don't? How come you don't use um, text to speech uh, instead of typing? Right when you're writing, wouldn't it be easier like to to put your thoughts together like that? Yeah, it would be. It probably would be easier. But you know, you know why I don't? Because it makes so many typos. I've done text to speech, and it's like my gosh. And some typos like that makes it, it. The only word that fits is is in context, and it, it puts a new word that's so out of context. It's like what the hell's going on? Then you got to read through your own message. I just prefer the and read. Oh no, I meant like when when you're writing, right? Like when you're in your writing mode. Oh, I've tried that too. Now it's just better to type and contemplate for me. Gotcha. Good question. All right, let's roll on. So we have uh, Catherine Jablonski who's joining us. She is a mathematician, statistician, uh, a probability specialist. Is that the right word? Mm. Um, and you think this would be super heady? But uh, maybe not. Tell me you think. Listen in. It is a pleasure to meet you. You too. Thanks where where are you based out of? Phoenix. Phoenix. Okay. Oh, I was just out your way. Uh, I was in Nevada, Nevada, but uh, I was at Las okay. Vegas. Yeah, close. <laughs> yeah, close. Um, and it's a lot nicer weather out there right now than it is here in New Jersey. Oh, uh, that's where you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's where uh, you were and where I was when we spoke, you know, I was, I was working on my newest book and I was really curious about statistics, probability. Uh, Jeff, is Jeff Walker your brother-in-law? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Jeff's like, you got to talk with Catherine and um, subsequently in preparation for this, I've been reading a book. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Algorithms to Live By. Have you heard this? I, I haven't, but, okay. so, but I do look at a lot of that sort of stuff. So I, yeah, so I, I just want to be as ready for you as possible. So I've been reading this book, and what uh, these two authors argue is that um, there is a lot of errors humans make, uh, and that if we simply use statistics and probabilities that we could enhance our life in many facets. They even talk about how efficiently we could uh, handle a queue like laundry or something and yeah. um, making better choices. Yep. 
before we get into some of the things that we can apply to our business, I'm just curious about your background. How did you get into statistics, mathematics, all that stuff? Yeah, well, I started as a chemical engineer, which I still consider myself to be. But when I got out of grad school, the first job I was given at Motorola, I was working there at the time, was to put a bunch of operating equipment online that had never been run before or used before. And I didn't think like I had, I, I didn't have any skills to know how to do that. Like how, how would you just make that up? Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, okay, you have a recipe, if you will, about you got to do this stuff, but how fast, how long, how complex. And so I decided I wanted to start studying um, statistical analysis so that you would try out various combinations of things. Because I'd been aware of statistics being used in what's known as design of experiments. And design right. of what's experiments. That? What's that? Pardon me? What, what is that specifically? Design of experiments is the is the knowledge that, you know, the old classical way of trying things out was you hold everything constant that you think matters and just move one thing at a time. Right. And that is a really, as it turns out, that's a very bad way of experimenting because of the interactions are usually what's very important um, in most things in life, that it's not just one thing, it's other things. Like I like a simple analogy I use is people sweat when it's hot and humid. You know, if it's very, very hot, but it's not humid, they may not be visibly sweating. You know, it's an interaction, right? I got, and, I got you. There's multiple variables causing it. Okay. Right. And if you happen to be holding the thing constant that actually matters with respect to the thing you're manipulating, if you're holding it constant in a place that it doesn't impact Many people walk away from an experiment and say, oh, that doesn't matter. When in fact, it may matter enormously. You just didn't have this set. I got you. Oh, that's interesting. That there's very much uh, this cause and effect that, uh, you know, uh, we have a slowdown in sales in our business this month. And I was sick this month. Clearly, it's because I was absent that we have a slowdown in sales. But is there a way to identify those other variables that were causing that? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this is what's, you know, in um, in classical way of doing research that is designed with experiments. And there are ways that you could actually define, you, you make a list of all of the variables that you think matter. Okay. And then you come up with a matrix of how you're going to test those various combinations. And mm. those those things that you test you get the data for in terms of what were the results when you did this combination of set settings for variables. And then if you do the matrix correctly and get that data, you could fill in the data that you're missing by various mathematical techniques. And so, but what's like that Sudoku? Remember that game Sudoku where you got to, it sounds like that. Like if you know this number, you yeah. can determine the other numbers that basically, if you know yeah. this variable, you can determine other variables, at least how they'll behave. Yeah, I mean, the way I think about it is probably the easiest way to do it is to say, you know, whenever I want to design an experiment or I want to answer a research question, I start by asking, what are all the variables that I think matter, that I have to consider? And let's make it a simple thing that maybe there's four things that I think can matter. Okay. Well, in theory, to understand whether or not how those four things matter, or if they matter, I want to do all combinations of those things. 
So let's say I take those four things and I come up with a high value and a low value for each of those four things. Now, if I wanna look at every possible combination of those four things at high and low values, that's two to the fourth power, right? So okay. it can end up being a lot of experiments as you get yeah, and two, more. And, and more. just for my simple mind, two to the fourth power is two times two times two times two. Yeah, two. Yeah. It's not four. It's right. it's like sixteen. Right. Okay. Right. And so the more variables you add, the the bigger these matrices can be, and they start yeah. to become impractical. Right. And so there's mathematical ways that you could say, I'm only going to do these tests. And by the results I get from these tests, I can mathematically conjecture what the missing ones are. So but I really, want to ask you, uh, maybe we can try to apply this in theory to like a sales situation. I mean, yeah. it's not often that I have a statistics and probability expert on the show. So <laughs> say my business, um, we noticed that we we sell one thing, we sell books. We noticed that sales for our books have dropped by 50%. Mm -hmm. And the variable, say the four variables are, one is I appear on other people's podcasts that moves books. Mm -hmm. Another one is live speaking events. Uh, another yeah. one's email notifications. And the last one is just Amazon itself uh, listing it. Um, yeah. I was picking, so say that's the four variables. And uh, I, I know sales have dropped, but also because of COVID, my speaking's dropped. So my conclusion by default is, well, it's because I'm not speaking out there speaking. That's the correlation. Yeah. Is there a way I can test this out easily yeah i mean what i would do in the experiment or the in the what you just you know said yeah is i would look at like combinations of those four things and ask to see whether or not and then see whether i have data for each of those various combinations so, you know? so let me give you a combination so a combination would be i think we do on off like a binary like i don't i didn't speak at all um yeah. Amazon didn't do any listings, but uh, I did do an email blast and uh, I did appear on podcasts. So that's one variable yeah. set, is that correct? Okay. Yeah. So you take each of those four variables and to make it simple, you have a yes, no, or okay. I did, or I didn't, or a lot or a little or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then you look at all the combinations of those things and you see if you have data to support that and, and, and support that combination. And the reason you're doing that is because you're trying to understand the, what variables matter and what interactions matter. And if you, because if, if there's a real tendency to take the data that I have available, and if it supports the hypothesis I want to support, I'm all over it. It's, all right, touchdown. I figured it out. Touchdown. I'm a genius. It's in, in space, like, you know, when you had asked a question before when we were talking about, you know, how do you avoid bias? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the number one thing to avoid bias is to don't try to find the data that supports what you're trying to. Oh, prove. that's interesting. Yeah. Because because that, by definition, I immediately question whether you what's your null hypothesis. So when you're doing analysis and trying to prove or disprove something, it goes, goes back to innocent until proven guilty. The the null hypothesis in any research question has to be what we would call the status quo and whatever okay. is the common okay. elite. And then the burden of proof rests on you disproving that the status quo is wrong or that you have to prove that the status quo is wrong. 
You're yeah, not, I gotcha. You're not proving what you want to prove is right. You have to prove what everyone else believes to be true is wrong. And gotcha. so the burden of proof is a very important thing that people have to think about. You know, the next thing I think about is okay, so have I stated my research question? Have I stated what I, you know, what I believe? And do I understand what is the commonly held belief, which is and let, and let me just catch up with our our um a little example here. So yeah. my, my books are not selling as well. So, but the, the common belief is those four variables have equal input. All of them collectively bring a standard volume of book sales. Would that be considered the null hypothesis? Well, a null hypothesis would be whatever you would consider the stat, the status quo. Yes. Okay. So that's status quo. Things. All four of these have to be performing at a, a yes. Yeah. You know, Cause we're, we're doing a binary here, high volume, we'll say, or a lot. Yeah. And that will result in these sales. Yeah. I had then a loss in, uh, in speaking and I'm attributing to that, but, but now you're saying the, we have to believe that the null set, the status quo yeah. is the right thing until we can prove it otherwise. Yeah. And okay. then you would prove it otherwise by saying, well, you know, it, do I, if I look at the data, are there times when only two of these four things have happened and I still have a problem with book sales? Oh, great. Is, is that a historical reference? Like, do I look at the history of, of data I have? Yeah. I mean, you, the, you can. Like, classic experimentation, correct experimentation, I suppose you could say, is that you don't can't really make causal statements unless you, what I like to say, turn the dial and see what happens. Yeah. So I, I actually say, oh, I wonder if this is true. And then I create the circumstances to see if it's true, which is distinctly different from going into history and saying, oh, look at this time, those four things were happening. What does that say? Resulted. That's called happenstance analysis. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. Opposed to. Now, the danger in happenstance analysis is, again, perhaps there were other things that you weren't considering yeah. that were happening at that time, like someone was sick. Right. Something else was happening. And it's in and so you're you're thinking, oh, well, these four things were where I hypothesize would cause this problem. And oh, they were all there, so this must be true. But you always have to be thinking expansively when we right. when we ask research questions. You, you know, so there's nothing inherently wrong with using happenstance data. That's what big data analysis is these days, right? Yeah, it yeah, right. It back. is. It is. It's going into this preponderance and huge amounts of data and trying to mine it to see if you could find these, you know, correlations that you can then maybe assume can move to causation because those I are- assume, I assume, I'm using the word assume, but big, big data analysis includes more variables likely than the human mind would consider. So I'm considering four variables. A big data set may have a thousand variables. Um, to me, it's almost like, Big data is projecting weather patterns, and there's so many different inputs. And yeah. versus me saying, "I see clouds," like that's my one variable right. input. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, big data analysis does have the capability of taking into consideration, in in theory, an infinite amount of variables. Yeah. In terms of seeing how that they relate to each other, and which ones matter, and which ones don't. Um, and that, and that's what a lot of that analysis of big data is. And it, there's various uh, artificial intelligence methods of doing statistics or AI mm -hmm. methods that are using big data that 
pulls out clusters and various statistical techniques to do that. But I think that like, I'm, I'm assuming that most of your entrepreneurs aren't going to necessarily be sitting down and doing, you know, big data analysis. They're going to, they really just want to make sure that they're making the best decisions possible. right? Right. And I think when I'm, when I'm thinking about making the best decisions possible, the first thing is I want to make sure I'm not subjecting myself to my own biases. And so I don't want to, I don't want to take the, I don't want to go out there and search for the data that supports what I'm trying to prove because what I, what I want to state is, you know, what is it that I'm trying to prove and do I have a sufficient sample size across the appropriate strata to, to make a assumption or make that statement that what I want to believe is true. So for example, you know, like the book sale issue that you're talking about. So, you know, I say one day, oh, my book sales are crappy because so-and-so happened, such and such happened, you know? Yeah. I would say, okay, are, what are all the things that, you know, you can think of and you don't, I mean, this is, don't get esoteric, just get, right. you know, what's, what's, you know, don't make it into harder than it's meant so to be. So Mercury being in retrograde is not likely. Right. <laughs> right. You know, don't make it so hard, you know, just, yeah. but, but think about it. Just spend that little bit of time thinking about it. Like, what are yeah. the top things that could really matter here? I guess, I guess then, it's the likely suspects. Bring the likely suspects yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Like, is it? Does it matter about um, you know who is I trying to sell them to? Who mm-hmm. is um you know who is listening to whatever messages were? You know, were there? Uh, you know, because the stratification. You know, there's different strata that will behave differently against any particular research question. And if for some reason, let's say you went out and your message was only delivered during the time zone when North Americans would be listening to it. Right. And and let's say, you know, no one in North America is particularly interested in the topic that your book covers. Right. So now you get this analysis. Well, I did this huge blast. And I sent it to thousands of people and nobody cared. So therefore the book is worthless. Not true. Right. Who did you send it to? You sent it to a strata that really doesn't, isn't interested in that topic. So, you know, you have to think about, have I sam- have I thought about the various different groups that matter? Have I thought about, do I have a sufficient sample size to cover those yeah. groups? I mean, this you, happens in medicine all the time, right? Yeah. Like, like, did I ask that research question about the black community, the Hispanic community, right. the, or, you know, age group, young, small, because like, look at the vaccine. What works great for one group doesn't work great for another. It doesn't mean the vaccine's bad. So right. imagine if I did my, if I was a researcher and I did my analysis on a vaccine on only African-American men between the ages of 65 and 70, I might come up with an entirely different decision about the efficacy of that than if I did, you know, seven-year-old, seven-year-old girls. You know what I mean? Yeah, white, white, female. Yes, Right. So, you know, another, so I, I see that if we we focus on one community expecting to be representative of all communities, that's probably not statistically significant. Also, I see in the entrepreneurial space, I call them data sets of one. 
like I'm gonna try out a new sales script. Yeah. I do my first call, it works. I'm like, ha, that was yeah. it. Yeah. And you know, I've experienced that too. There's an overwhelming belief, it's it. And yeah. the results are perfect. Yeah. Is there a certain quantity of tests I need to run in a representative population yeah. to really know I'm on the right path? Yeah, um, great question. Um, well, first of all, a sample of size one does not a trend. <laughs> okay, good. Anyone listening in, do not do a sample size of one. Uh, yeah, I always well, say this. Good fortune or bad fortune. That's about one it. does not a trend make yeah. in anybody's book, right? Yes, good, okay. So how big of a sample is good? All right, so the answer to that is lots of times people will just throw out a number of 30, you know, that you have 30 samples, right? But that's very, that's very like, well, why 30, right? Yeah. You know, mathematically, it tends to, tends to work out. But 30 samples could be really expensive to get, yeah. you know, or hard to get. So the way I look at it is the more consistent the answer is, as I add additional samples, the fewer I'm ultimately going to need. Oh, I like love it. The, right? So if the first one was like, I believed and the second one was ooh, not so much yeah and then the next one was somewhere in between yeah and, okay i'm getting a lot of variability so more variability means more data more yeah more data needed more but data. if i start seeing and, and i gotta document this right so it's not it's not an emotional sense but it's like yeah. i'm tracking the day of the inputs sales yeah. call one person commits right away sales call two they're on the fence sales call two Three, commit right away. Four, commit right away. Four on the fence, five on the fence. Commit, commit. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to see a trend earlier. And maybe yeah. the day is set of 30 uh, is good. But if I'm getting right yeah. in the middle, like not committing, I have to keep on expanding the set until I can see yeah. that trend. Is that basically it? Yeah, yeah. Like I would say if I did a sample of size 10, and it was a good sample. And again, with all the other stuff I'm talking about, like I'm looking within a certain strata, like I'm not meaning one sample for each different strata where each strata may have completely different answers. So again, is always about what's the research question that I'm trying to answer? Who should I be considering or what strata should I be considering? And then within each of these strata, how much have I sampled? So mm. each, each stratification that may matter to you, which could be geography, age group, um, so the topic, whatever strata is reasonable to say matters and then cover those strata. And then for each one, have I asked enough? You know, have I sampled it enough? And the answer is like, if I'm in one of these groups and I get 10 consecutive yeses, I'm probably gonna feel pretty good about that. And if yeah. it's expensive for me to get 20 more, probably won't bother with it. Gotcha. Is there, is there a risk? There's always risk, you know? Right. But the reason we use statistics, because this is also something I always remind myself, when do I need statistics versus just an answer? Yeah, fact, right? Right. Or like, so if I want to sell you a book and you say, I don't want to buy it. Right. There's no statistics involved. Right. You don't want to buy yeah, it. I'm the full population that you're selling to. Yeah, done. You right. know the fact. So, it's a non-buyer. Yeah. And so that's where the people also have to think about it. Like if I've got 50 people that I want to sell a book to, and that's all I want to sell it to. And I know that's all I want to sell it to. 
ask the 50 people if they want to buy it. It's not. <laughs> I love it. That's so clear. What, what the population is uh, 50,000. Um, this is why I use statistics. Gotcha. The statistics allows me to predict what I don't know from what I do know. So you got to convince yourself that what you do know is representative of what Voice you known. don't know. Love that. Right. Well, the population expands. So now it's not 50,000, it's 500,000 or 5 million. Do I need to do more uh, trend analysis in, basically uh, in my sample as the population gets bigger? Not necessarily. It it's okay. all depends on, it all really depends on whether or not you're getting consistent responses. Like yeah. if 5 million, you know, I don't need to have five times as many because my population is five times bigger between this question and that question. It's the consistency of the answers I'm getting. Again, yeah. the, the, the more variation in the responses that I get to a particular research question, the larger the sample I have to have. Because like you'll even hear research, right? Where people will say 64% of the respondents yeah. believe this. Well, 64% of 10 versus 4% right. of half a million. Yeah. You know, big difference, right? Because it's not 100% that like it. Right. It's only a little bit more. So, you know, so that, that that's actually very interesting. So 64% of 10 is like, hmm, if they said 99% of 10 versus 99% of 100, it's like, okay, because that's right. showing significant a trend in a certain direction. Is that right? Right, right. And so it's it's that play between sample size is very important, but it becomes less important once I keep getting the same answer over and over and over and yeah, over. Yeah, the greater the bifurcation or the, uh, the, yeah. the yeah, okay. And then the and trend, just, again, I love that. It, is the irony of how people think to go back to what your question is. If I really want something to be so, I will sometimes try something over and over and over again, just in desperation to get the one time the one, yeah. different, right? Because yeah. I don't want to believe the fact that, hey, look, the last 50 times you did this, it didn't, didn't go work. where you wanted. Right. And so yeah. it's that balance. We always have to ask ourselves that question, you know, of am I letting my desire to prove something make me find the random event that can, you know, prove what I want to, you know? Yeah. But there's a there's a great little book that I used I, years ago. I taught to executives in, in manufacturing a, a course called Understanding Variation. Yeah. And. This book was written by Dr. Wheeler. It's a tiny little book. Very, very easy to digest. And what it really talks about is the, the fact that most of us don't inherently understand variation. We want to believe that the variation that goes in our direction is good. And the variation that goes in the direction we don't want is irrelevant. Right. And, and the truth is there's variation in everything. There yes. is an average and things flutter around that average. And the only reason I'm gonna say the average or the status quo is no longer the average is when that flutter is consistently different. Not, yeah. not bouncing around the average or bouncing right. around the status quo. It has to be notably, notably, notably different, yes. you know, because 
that's how I feel confident that something really is different. Something really has changed, you know? That's fantastic. Yeah, we're, we're running time on time. I got one more question I want to ask you about, though, is, is predicting yeah. the future, you know, in, in entrepreneurship and, and owning a business, if I kind of know where things are headed, that's a mm -hmm. good thing, too. And I, I heard one thing when I was reading that book, uh, Algorithms to Live By, I, I maybe mistitling this, I think they called it the Copernicus effect. But basically, the principle is a real rough over the rule of thumb kind of principle of predicting the future. But they said, if something exists for X period of time, it'll likely exist X longer, that same amount. Because uh -huh. statistically, if you don't know where you are in the trend of that thing, you have to give equal value to each time segment. And therefore, uh, probabilistically, you're right in the middle. So mm -hmm. you just double it. Um, right. so for example, New York City has been around for 100 years it'll probably be around for a hundred years more and, and it's over. But they also pointed out that, you know, if you look at someone's life, someone's seven years old, it's not likely you're gonna live till 14. Most people live longer and someone that's 80 isn't likely to live to 160. So so there, there's different applications. For business, do you find there's ways to, or some simple rules of thumbs we can use to leverage statistics to kind of give us a good indication of where our business is headed or not? Wow. Um... You know, time is super important in yeah. terms of any analysis and the age of that analysis, you know, and and what has changed since then. Oh, and that's I, interesting. You know, and I, I I always think when there is the tendency that people like to rest on the old truths. Yeah. But like right now, like there's so much disruption going on in business in terms of, of because of the way supply chains are working, you know, and because of the way, um, you know, the shift of urgency, that there's a lot of paradigms that just aren't true anymore. Like I, for the industries I work in is largely manufacturing and a lot of it in, involved with pharmaceutical manufacturing and stuff like that. And, you know, there's just a sea change that's happening that allows that you have to stop. Sometimes you have to say that just because this has worked for my business, this for year, decades that it's not going to work anymore. And like one of the big shifts for sure for all businesses is digitalization and what's happening in the world of digitalization for sure. and, and how that impacts everybody, you know, and that is the ability to automate, the ability to access data, the ability to um, do things faster and better. And so they're really, you know, I don't know if I had a business, whether I would be, I wouldn't be necessarily resting on the success of what I've done in the past, unless I really thought through, why do I think it's not going to be any different? You know, why, what is my belief that, and so, you know, I just find that so much about research and analysis, which I do all the time, all, all the time, is starts with asking the right questions absolutely have to ask the right questions and be fair about those questions. You know, be fair to yourself, right? And the last thing I want to comment, because I think this is super important for the whole world to realize, and this is not the first podcast that anybody's going to hear this in, but, you know, we are in a time where there's a tremendous amount of data that's available. And that and and artificial intelligence means and statistics means can be used to milk that data for information. But if you don't ask the right question, 
of that computer, you are not going to get the right answers. You're going to get the answer to precisely the question you asked, however dangerous, incorrect, or horrible your question was, because the computer doesn't know any different. Yeah. And I like to use the analogy of there's that book from long ago where the, the, the mother tells the girl to dust the furniture and she covers it with talcum powder. She did precisely what her mother said and got exactly <laughs> she dusted, the, wrong, yeah. the wrong outcome. So in any analysis, any analysis, it starts with asking the right question, making sure it really, you really understand what impacts that. And then also ask yourself, what value is there to answer this? Because lots of times we spend a lot of time and the answer is, oh, that's kind of cool. And nobody cares, you yeah. know? So, yeah. and, and also how are you going to analyze it? Because I also see people going out and getting bunches of data and then they think, what should I do with this? You should never collect any data until you know what you're going to do with it. You know, anyway, love oh, that, the topic. Hope no, that's fascinating. <laughs> Catherine, I mean, I, I learned so much today. Uh, avoiding our own bias is massive. Asking your question inherently in questions is bias. Don't do a data set of one. Um, actually, you know, what you were just sharing now I heard is, you know, the current uh, review or, or study um, versus the same study six, seven years ago, the current study is probably more relevant. You know, time, uh, there's, there's elements that change. These insights have been amazing. Um, first time I've ever had a statistician on so. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Mike. I enjoyed it. Appreciate your time. So it got heady at times, but she was able to boil it down so I could consume it. I thought, I thought it was fascinating that uh, the essence of what I learned from her is uh, we humans jump to conclusions so quickly on too small of a set of information. Like, you know, like if someone's mad at you, they're always mad at me, or, you know, it's always, or it's never. But, she, but she's argued that we have to get statistical significance. You have to ask enough things about whatever question you're pondering from enough perspectives to really get the essence of how the community is responding. Yeah. I love when she uh, pointed out that you really have to ask the right question because you're going to get an answer, however dangerous or incorrect. Like I love that she pointed out the danger of really um, attacking this the wrong way of being um, unsure of what you're looking for and perhaps proving the wrong kind of, Oh, thing. that's right. She was so wrong question wrong she, answer. Yeah, exactly. Like if I ask, why does Amy hate me so much? I'll only look for information that supports that. Right. If I go, why does Amy love me so much? <laughs> I'll still find out why you hate me so much. <laughs> I just, she was brilliant. You mean, you know, she was brilliant and it was so was, interesting yeah. to listen to her. And I love that you chose this as a podcast topic, Mike, this was a really that I feel like this is definitely um, divergent from what we I think normally so. yeah, cover was, yeah. and, and unique. I love she, that. Uh, I included some of her research in Get Different. Um, I didn't give attribution to her specifically. I, I, or maybe I did now. I can't remember. I interviewed quite a few people in this space um, because when it comes to marketing, most small businesses that I've interviewed, 
um, say that they're going to uh, throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. Mm. It's the rarity that I hear of a small business owner saying, we're going to prove this model works as I think it will or not, and then market accordingly or consistently with that. So um, it's really important that we are objective on analyzing our marketing efforts and then leverage and lean into what's working and avoid what's not. So, so that's, that's how I got connected with her um, and was just excited to get her on our show to talk about this stuff. That's really cool. What about you, Jer? I just got to ask, how do you say her last name? Jablonski. Okay. So for my own fun, cause I didn't know that that was how you pronounce it. I was pronouncing it in my head, Jay Blonsky. <laughs> oh, nice. The bias. Yeah. Yeah. Jablonski. That's why we got her. Yeah. She's in there. <laughs> um, the book right now. So the same, same thing uh, that Amy was saying, I, I like when she talked about the null hypothesis, uh, the burden of proof falls on you tr trying to prove the st status quo wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and then the whole thing about confirmation bias and stuff, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating interview. And I think um, for all of our listeners, measure, measure what you do, but, but try, and it's, it's impossible to remove full bias, but try to um, try to avoid your own bias. It's actually interesting, and I don't know if it was her or now if, if this was another source, but basically whatever you think the truth is, try to argue the opposite and, and look at that data. So if I ask, why does Amy hate me so much? That's the way I want to find out. I should really be asking, well, can I find proof that she loves me so much? And, and that, um, that will give us a better perspective, I believe. I can't remember if it was Catherine who said that or if it was someone else now, but just something to consider. Yeah. Okay. Who ready for a little trivia, bro? Yeah. yeah. Trivia. So I didn't realize it said in her bio she was um uh she has a chemical engineering degree. Yes. Right? Right? Big brain. So big brain. This is a chemical quiz. <laughs> totally You're totally uh, wrong there. no i love it but i love like we've never used sound effects and as we're winding down the show you're like all right now we're bringing in the effects that, these, are all, these, these are all the effects i had loaded for the other show and <laughs> just throw in uh, might as well get to use them yeah, yeah i think it's a perfect throwback yeah Although, it is a good throwback there, you use. Go. there was no yes. reason for yeah <laughs> Oh, could you keep your weird hand out of the camera? <laughs> I love it. Picking at right. her face, clapping things around. The question one is uh, salt, a.k.a. NaCO, is one of the essential minerals in the body. How much salt does the body contain? Is it two pounds, one pound, or half a pound? Approximately. Ugh. Question two. Organic chemistry is the study of all organic compounds that make up living organisms. All organic molecules contain what? Carbon, carbon and hydrogen, or carbon and nitrogen? I milked a cat once. <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was, that was that's that was, is that um Gabe Fokker? Yeah, yeah. That is when he was talking about he milked a cat. I milked a cat. I mean, was, yeah, that's my sign on. I milked a cat. <laughs> um, there was a crack enough filming that. That's a good, good line. <laughs> yeah. 
What reaction happens when you mix Coca-Cola and milk together? Uh, get a delicious diarrhea. Oh, God. Uh, is it uh, flakes will form and the rest will turn clear? Nothing happens. Or a cheese will form and turns the milk green? Cheese. I love Kelsey's face on that. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Stings the nostrils. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Shalom, bringing the audience. All right. Let's do this here. All right, Chair. First right. one. First one. How much salt does the body contain? Half a pound. Half pound. Half a pound. What did you say, Kels? Half a pound. Half a pound. All right. You all got it correct. Yeah. Can you That's imagine right. a whole pound of salt in your body? Holy I shit. can't imagine half a pound of salt. I know. Yeah. Still a lot of salt. That is. That's crazy. You got it all. You all got it right. Great. Now, now half a pound of Traeger's rub, <laughs> which is mostly salt or old bay. Yeah. I can see that. All right. Question two. Um, what all organic molecules contain what? Carbon. 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 Just you picked carb carbon by itself, right? Just carbon yes. by itself. Yeah. Carbon. You are wrong. It is carbon and hydrogen. Dang. Dang. We're still right though. That's wrong. We're still right. Yeah, yeah. we're still right. Yeah, yeah exactly. We're still right. Oh, Do they all right. have carbon? No. Technically. Technically. They all have technically carbon. they all have carbon. We're still right. We all get a half point. We get a half point. Set up. Here we go. <laughs> Here we, so Here we go. Here we go. He's we so tolerant of us, you guys. He really salt. is good with us. Okay, last I'm question. I'm a ghoul. The gabagools. All right. What reaction happens when you mix Coca-Cola and milk? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, Nothing. Cheese, cheese and green. I've drank it before. Because you can make green. a root beer float or a Coke. Yeah. Coke. Cheese and green. Yes. You, nothing happens. Nothing cheese happens. And green, I've had green. it. Cheese milk and, and Coke. Green. I've had it. I've actually okay. seen this. I've actually so proud of that. I had it. I had it. Why are you bragging? That's weird. I grew up on that. Yeah. We would take half a half a glass of milk and then pop. We call it creamy coke. Coke it's in there. delicious. And then when the cheese would come out, we ate the cheese for dinner. That's what Papa would I do. I love how you guys know I'm an old prairie woman. I just love how you know and you put that accent on me. It's so right. All right, All right, so you're having the cheese and greens again? <laughs> milk and milk. When you when you mix Coca Cola or root beer with ice cream, it's different than if you mix it with milk. If you mix it with milk, it actually does turn the liquid clear, and the flake there are flakes that form, and then it separates, and they they fall to the bottom. So it'll be like the top half is clear. I've, I've seen it done; it's really wild. So I feel like so we need to do a science. Is the answer I, one A. So, no, it's, yeah, the answer was A. Yeah. Is that what you picked, Mike? I didn't pick A. So are you saying we only we all got one right? Yeah, we're all tied with one right. We all got one, one and, and a half, half points. One and now, a half. Yeah. One, one point. Yeah, one and, and a half, half for chisel. The whole yeah, point is chisel. whether it's carbon by itself. That was poorly set up. Mm. Really? You really couldn't figure that out? <laughs> this reminds me of the Seinfeld episode all over again. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming full circle. It's perfect. All coming back. Mm. All, coming all right. Back to me now. Well, I can't think of a more fitting way to end this episode than a three-way tie, and learning that Amy was a prairie girl, <laughs> prairie woman, prairie woman. I, I love my coke and milk, I love daddy. Those flakes on top. <laughs> Here's my coke and milk. You know oh what? That's what, we should, that's what we should do on the next retreat. Uh, do I'll show you guys how to make mozzarella. 
Oh, yeah. that'd be fun. Yes, yeah. please. We should do some experience too. Like, do you know, the... how, to, do you know how to make burrata? Uh, well, so burrata is a little more difficult. I, I, I don't, I've never. We're made... up for the challenge. We're okay. so up for the challenge. And Mike will bring right. caviar, which we will place on top of. Oh, the yeah, we'll do a little caviar. Burrata is the best, though. Burrata's, yeah, burrata's good. Yeah. Good. So delicious. Yeah. All right, my friends, you just heard uh, another episode of Mike Up In Your Business. I would be flattered if you would rate the show. It would help us. Give us an honest rating. You can rate us up to five stars. Go to rateourpodcast.com. We also have a sister program on YouTube, mikesyoutube.com. Make sure you go there. And uh, as always, just appreciate you being an entrepreneur. Thank you for the work you do. I am wishing you good times. Wishing you good times. Wishing you good times. Bye.